Welcome to A Pint With Nature. Because baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there actually, Cyril. That's that was quite a short one this week, but I mean, we did. That's it. the only bit of the song really that we finally managed to cut your singing down to a couple of seconds. seconds. I know. Instead of the usual uh, nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Is there ever one that you've done? What's the longest you reckon you've sang for at the beginning of one of these? I did the hit a hop a hippy a hippy dippy hip hip hop, but don't stop the rocking to the bang bang boogie. So don't stop the rocking. Oh, I've got it wrong. No, lost it. Lost it. But I did that one, which was quite long. Yeah. And you've done it again just then as well, so... I did, I did. So actually, to be honest... Well, actually, the amount we've talked about you singing... Yeah. In. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's probably the longest we've done. It's the longest Because yeah, it was the shortest time yeah. that we sang for. Welcome <laughs> to another episode of A Pint With Nature! <laughs> Here we are again. Episode 2, again. season 2. Mm. We made it. 2.2. And Sorrel, what are you drinking this week? Well, this week it was a bit of a bit of a faff to find it because it came in a came in a little mix six box from Sainsbury's. But it's called Altitude. They've advertised on the beer that you got to drink it cold, you got to drink it chilled, brewed to perfection. And there's a snowflake on the label and stuff. So I think they called it Altitude because at altitude it's colder. So drink your beer cold. But this beer put it in the fridge for a bit and it is cold. So there we go. You know when our fans ask us, Sorrel, to get more information about the beer? Yeah. Do you think what you just gave was what they're asking for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want me to describe? If I describe the label, then you guys can go out buy it out for yourself. <laughs> uh, hold on. No, Sorrel, oh, do no, not you don't want describe me to, the oh, label. Sorry, oh, fine, fine, Let me tell fine. you a little bit about Wainwright's beer. Okay. Well, it is owned by Marston's. It is named after a Lancastrian fell walker called Alfred Wainwright. As you said, it's best served cold, about five degrees. It's described as an extra refreshing golden ale straight from the fridge with hints of apricot and peach. Ooh. So if that sounds like a bit of you, then get on it, because I tell you what, sir, I'm, yeah. I'm quite enjoying this beer yeah. so far. it's really nice. I'm a big fan of apricot and peach flavours, I think. I don't think I can taste them in this beer, but usually <laughs> in <the> general <laughs> life. Oh, I mean... When was the last time you read the description of a beer and went, yeah, that is exactly what it tastes like? Well, never. Never on a beer. (laughs) (laughs) It's never... I've never got that, but I did for the first time the other day do it for a whiskey that I bought. And it said, I, before I read the label, I thought I'd test myself and see if I could get the flavour on the back of the bottle. And had some whiskey. I was like, oh, you know, pick up some vanilla in there. And I turned the label around. Guess what it said? Hints of vanilla. Hints of vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> It's the most proud I've ever been about anything in my entire life. I once went to a, a whiskey bar in uh, Edinburgh. I was actually meeting up with one of our uh, long-time listeners, Aidan James. Uh. Shout out to Aidan. Hi, Aidan. <laughs> and I ordered a whiskey which said it was flavoured with volcanic ash. Ooh. And you know what? I could really taste that volcanic ash. Because uh, I, I know exactly yeah, I was what that say. tastes like. Uh, it's a really good description. Because they give me something that I can really go, yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, know what, I know what volcanic ash tastes like. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've sent me those pictures of you a while back when you were on holiday, you know, like scooping ash up from the yeah. from that recent volcanic explosion that you went to it. visit. Where was it? We did that Spitfire episode. You went. You were on an active volcano. Where was oh, that? Oh yeah, Mount Aranal. Yeah, yeah, there you go, yeah. Eating the ash off there, so Eating you know exactly ash. what it tastes like. You know, yeah. me. you know me. But anyway, Sorrel, 
We should probably get on with the episode now, yeah. We we probably should get on with the episode. So tell me, what have you been looking into? Well, so altitude can obviously be... It's quite a broad category, really, because, you know, all life that exists exists at an altitude. You could have low altitudes. You could have, you know, sea level altitudes. You could have average altitudes. But what I think we thought by the name, especially with the the mountain on the label, see, describing the label of the beer already, that we thought we'd go with high altitudes yeah. today yeah. because we, you know, we were doing oceans and deep altitudes last week, so we thought we'd go almost an opposite. The reason it's a particularly interesting interesting branch of nature to look at is because the conditions you get at these high altitudes is quite intense in comparison to other climates that you come across. It's a, it's a lot colder and you've got these winds coming from every direction. It's often difficult to breathe. The sunlight is more intense and this really does limit what can live at high altitudes. But there are still animals that live at very high altitudes, mm. amazingly. I mean, the highest altitude on Earth is, of course, Mount Everest, which is about 29,000 feet high. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite tall. I mean, I'm about six foot six. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, Sorrel. No, so. I don't think you have, actually. So, it's at least a few of me yeah. tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even at some of the, some of the pretty high parts of Everest, animals can be found. Let's um, not forget about those plants as well, eh? Yeah. Because there wouldn't be the animals there without the plants there, which is... Yeah something that you always forget i think you know it is much harder for plants to survive at cold altitude because it's harder for them to escape it so it is usually uh, lichens and your moss that survive at these high altitudes but they exist as well and it's interesting you mentioned that the lichen sorrel because the first animal that i wanted to bring into this altitude based episode is an animal that survives almost exclusively off of the lichens that are adapted to live at these high altitudes and this is a very odd looking animal this is the yunnan snub-nosed monkey these snub-nosed monkeys are the primates that live at the highest altitude on earth and one of the well they're, they're probably the most famous adaptation that allows them to live at this these altitudes and when i talk about these altitudes we're talking about the highest recording one is about 4700 meters so that's pretty high. Oh, I'm going to have to convert that to feet. Yeah, I was thinking that, guy. listeners back at home, get your converters out. This one's going to be a long episode if you can't convert between metres and feet. Oof. I mean, that's that's 15, 000, That's over 15,000 feet. Wow. So that is, that's pretty high. And I, given I said that Mount Everest is 29,000 feet, I mean, it's not quite that high, but halfway up. Yeah, it's halfway up. I wouldn't want to live halfway <laughs> up Everest. Yeah, I've not been halfway up Everest. So, yeah. so yeah. But anyway, the distinguishing feature is, if you hadn't guessed it from the name, their noses, because they actually have no nose bones. They just have a little sort of hole in their face. They look, I tell you what, they look a bit like Voldemort. Like, you know how he's got that sort of, like, weird nose, sort of, like, squashed up to his face and not really protruding? Are we sure we're allowed to say his name? Oh. Sorry, Harry. Sorry, Harry. Sorry, Harry. But no, they are very cool primates. Not just because of their no noses, but for other reasons as well. For example, when giving birth, mostly happens at night time, so we don't get to see it very often. But from examples that we have seen occur during the day, there has been examples of midwifery in practice, where other female snub-nosed monkeys help the one that's giving birth to give birth to their children, which I think is really nice. But unfortunately, you are unlikely to have seen one of these black and white snub-nosed monkeys, Sorrel, because they are exclusively found either in the wild or in Chinese zoos mm. and not found outside of China. Mm. So if you want to see one, 
head on over to China yeah. and uh, climb Everest, black and white go to China, monkeys. one or the other. Yeah. But it's feed funny you talk about... Give them some lichen. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, give them some lichen. Yeah, you know you, you know, you take like a... When you're going around the safari park, you might take some seeds with you. Grab yourself a bag, bag of lichen. Or lichens. Nice. But it's funny you talk about birth. I guess the act, of, the act of birth. Because one of the things we can't do at high altitudes as humans is give birth. We actually really struggle to give birth at really high altitudes. And that's obviously because of the low oxygen we, we levels. Can't, we can give birth, but we struggle to. We can give birth, but we really struggle to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that we can't completely. There are examples where people have given birth at high altitudes and that's the tibetans that live in the mountains and they are actually they've become evolved humans have become more evolved to give birth at the at higher altitudes they don't suffer from not giving birth i guess because of gene mutations that have happened from them living in high environments the whole time so their bodies can actually stop the overreaction to low oxygen content in the air, which is pretty cool. So snub-nosed monkeys aren't the only primates to have adapted to living in the cold. We have as well, but only yep. only a certain part of us. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Apparently up to 88% of Tibetans are found to have this gene variation that allows them to better cope with oxygen levels at high altitudes mm. um, and without this adaptation red blood cells which are the cells that go around in our blood and carry oxygen to our different cells become really really swollen and it leads to heart failure so it is an adaptation which is crucial for them living at these high altitudes and has even been found that something similar has happened with the dogs that they've domesticated and taken up these uh, mountains that they've also yeah. found that they've got uh, so, so our brew dog episode from the first series and this is one of the dogs that was mentioned briefly was the Tibet and mastiff is that their is that their companions isn't it there you go there you go but that's that's essentially what this is right because we're looking at animals and plants that can exist at high altitudes and it's all just because they've adapted to it so it's all just mutations of genes that have allowed them to evolve and survive in these harsher environments and actually that can that can lead to them not being suited to the environment that we would usually see animals in at, at our level and one of those animals that can't survive in different environment to the high altitude is the yak. They exist around 6,100 meters up, so get your converter out, oh. How many feet is that? Oh, wait, we're going for how many feet? How I many don't meters? know, why do feet even exist? Bit of a silly measurement, isn't it? Well, I guess it was originally so that people could sort of have something they could visualize, like they know how long a foot is, like their own foot is. But of course now it's like... But a foot, a one, one foot is not one foot, is it? <laughs> Well, it depends how big your foot is. Oh, is that what it was based off to begin with? Is that, is that why it was given? Is that why it was given I mean, I'm sort of guessing a little bit. I don't, I don't know. Give, how, how tall is that place in uh, metres? 6,100. Oof, it's pretty high. 20,000. 20,000 feet. So that's, you're saying Everest, that's 20,000 on my feet. So well, Everest is 29,000. If I, if I had duplicated my foot 29,000 times, that would be how high Everest is. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how big your foot is, Sorrel, so I don't know. And my size is 10. Your foot? My size 10, if that helps. See, again, that, how are you going to tell from that now? Because does, does feet size equate into foot size, which equates into feet? There's too many foot measurements going on. I can't, I don't know, Sorrel. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Such a bad Richard okay, Osman. Imagine, like, a, a ruler. Yeah. That's 30 centimetres. That's, that's pretty close to a foot. I feel like my foot is smaller than a ruler. Is my foot We've the same size of a ruler? Sorrel, bring it back round to yaks. Okay, sorry. I'm just, it's just really confused me. There's too many feet measurements for about. And I, I, I tell you what, I tell you what, if any of our listeners want to weigh in on that one, why is a foot called a foot, then feel free to let us know. 
Let's know. Well, anyway, I'll go back to yaks because they're something we all know and love. We don't get confused by yaks. The reason we love yaks is because they're so hairy and they're just, you know, a bit funny to look at. Big, furry balls, basically. They have to, they have this fur. They have two thick coats of fur because that's how much they need to survive at these high altitudes. But the thing I was talking about is that they're actually so well adapted to these high altitudes that they can't live below 10,000 feet, which in meters is, well, it'd be 3,050 meters based on what you just told me. <laughs> so they can't live below 3,050 meters. In any temperature greater than 15 degrees Celsius, they would suffer from heat exhaustion. So that, that's how adapted they are, which is crazy to think about from, from a human level because we exist in temperatures 40, 45 degrees up, don't we? Yeah. Not myself I mean, I personally. Yeah. No, and I, I don't think I'd choose to look 45 degrees. No, no. That that seems... This is Celsius. Fahrenheit, I could survive 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, stop, right. I, I forgot this was an episode <laughs> all about conversions. It's, it's not an altitude beer, is it? It's measurement conversion beer now at this rate. <laughs> you're right, sorry, you're right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Actually, wait, how much, get... is that, how much is that in Kelvin? T- tell me quickly. <laughs> You're right, sorry. I'll, I'll bring it back round. I'll, I'll talk about another pretty awesome animal that lives at a pretty high altitude, and that is the red panda. Now, another, another furball. Another, another. Well, adorable furball. Oh, I mean, yaks are adorable. Yeah, but they're quite big. Like, do you think big? Do you think something that big can be adorable? Well, you are. Oh, sorry. You made my day. <laughs> oh, stop it, you. Stop it. Anyway. The red pandas. Well, I guess the first thing to tell you about the red pandas is that despite their name, they really aren't that closely related to, you know, the big black and white giant pandas that we think is synonymous with the name panda. They're not closely related at all. There are certain reasons why we think that they are closely related, why we thought they were. One such thing is that they both have an extended wrist bone that is sort of a bit like a false thumb that they use to eat bamboo. But actually, it was originally adapted in red pandas so they could climb trees, and then now they use it sort of eat bamboo as well. And they can spend up to 13 hours a day looking for and eating bamboo. Wow. 13 hours in a day. Imagine spending 13 hours of your day focused on food, Cyril. I mean, maybe not far <laughs> off, I don't know. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, I think it's the, the looking part, isn't it, that we don't have to do, but that's that's yeah. a lot of time focused on that. But these adorable little furballs are usually found in forests of about 5,900 to 13,000 feet, something like that. Hey, we already had in feet, don't have to convert. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they're pretty high up and they are very well adapted to this climate. I mean, they have these really furry feet that basically act like snow boots so that they don't slip around too much. And I think they can also, they can slow their metabolism down, can't they, to, to basically as low as sloths, which is which is quite fascinating yeah. as well. No, they're, they're very sort of slow in the winter months, yeah. yeah. And as you said, as slow as a sloth. And yet despite that, you'd, you'd think therefore that they you know, might be quite lazy if they're under sloths, you think of something quite lazy but actually they are said to be escape artists and this isn't my words this is the official care manual by the association of zoos and aquariums says beware red pandas are escape artists and this is because there's been a series of daring escapes by red pandas in many zoos london zoo was one of them but in one example in dresden in germany the red panda escaped and they found it at the top of a big tree and they couldn't think of a better way to get it down than by using a giant fire hose to spray it till it fell <laughs> down and the red panda fell 30 feet 
to the ground, giving it a concussion. No. But it did survive. Oh, God. <laughs> but you've well, got to think, they've got to have a ladder somewhere. Because I swear firemen have to rescue cats from trees all the time. Yeah, so, you'd think they'd have something that can get them up to that height. Yeah, it seems a bit, bit unnecessary, really. I know, that poor red panda. Yeah. Anyway, it survived. But no, London, Birmingham, Rotterdam all seen other daring red panda escapes. That's... So I guess, Sorrel, if you were to have a piece of advice this week, it would uh, might be... Uh... Well, Sorrel's piece of advice this week is, when you're packing a bag to go to the zoo, don't pack a fire hose, pack a ladder. Good, yep. And the next time I go to a zoo, I will think back to this and know to bring a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for all you red panda listeners out there, the one piece of advice I can give to you is, beware the snow leopard. Because the snow leopard is one of the only natural predators, other than the occasional bird of prey, for our lovely red panda friends. Because they are, of course, mountain-dwelling cats. And they are phenomenal. If you've not seen the footage from things like Planet Earth 2 of the snow leopards rearing their young and then fighting over mates, they are phenomenal animals. And they can live between about... 9,000 or so feet and 17,000 feet. So, again, pretty high, pretty high altitude. And uh, have a thick fur to keep them warm. Massive paws to help them on the sort of the rock and the snow. And their fur colour is adapted so that it sort of blends in with the rock and snow colours as well. A big, long, thick, bushy tail to help it balance, but also to use as a sort of blanket, I guess, is a, a nice way of putting it, to sort of curl around them if it gets too cold. And they are actually found in certain areas, This is I quite like this, to even overlap with tigers, which I didn't know about. Oh, wow. There was a, a survey that occurred after villagers were said to have seen tigers in the Himalayas above around 4,000 metres or 13,000 feet. And the scientist called Rabinowitz wanted to check see if this was true or not and set up a series of camera traps. And he found, as well as red foxes, jungle cats, monkeys, black bears, musk deer, red pandas, they also found the first evidence of tigers and snow leopards sort of overlapping in ranges. Which I quite like the idea. I don't know what a tiger and a snow leopard would do if they came across each other but i suspect maybe the tiger would win because they're well, a bit bigger i know we've mentioned uh kung fu panda before but tigers and oh. snow leopards cross in yes in that film so i think we know yeah. what would happen is the snow leopard would try and take over the world in all fairness would beat the would beat the tiger and but then for would have the tiger to... befriending a snake a crane yeah most famously a panda a panda so then they'd have a to monkey. call on, so then we'd yeah. have a crossover of panda as well. They'd have to call their panda, but that's a rare occasion. But, sort of, I guess a surprising fact is that, after I've, what, what I've just told you, is that actually the snow leopard is actually therefore more closely related to tigers than to leopards, despite oh, being known as okay. snow leopards. Oh, yeah, which nice. is quite cool. Yeah. Quite cool. Yeah. They also, another sort of difference they have from a lot of other big cats, is that they can't roar, poor things. They sort of are known to make a piercing yowl, like a yowl. But no, but they, <laughs> Is that your best snow leopard impression? <laughs> I know. But they can travel up to 25 miles in a single night. So they can't roar, but they can walk pretty fast. All right, so begs the question, what would you rather do? Would you rather be able to walk 25 miles in a night, or would you be able to roar? Ooh, I mean, I feel like it'd be pretty impressive if I could just sort of like turn up a party and like, someone would be like, 
I'll go on, do it. And do, the like, <laughs> do, do, do the roar. Do, do, do the roar. <laughs> <laughs> And I can just turn around and be like, yeah. I feel like I'd go for the, I'd yeah, go for yeah. I think I think so as well. I think so as well. Plus, I mean, nobody would ever mess with me because that would be terrifying. Yeah. They are very amazing. Well, I guess the first question to ask then, Sorrel, who won last week's Fact Off? Well, I don't think you'll be uh, very happy with this result. Oh, not again. I know. If it's any consolation, there's only one vote in it. Oh. I am the winner right. of Come on. episode one. So Come on, Elliot fans, get on it. Yeah. Get voting. Yeah, you guys need to support your boy more because yeah. he needs to win at least one week. I do, I do. Thank you for those that did vote. See, yeah. I thank my fans. Yeah, I don't. Don't need to. <laughs> They're already too loyal to me. Right then, Sorrel. <laughs> Given you won last week, you know the rules. Winner starts. So, let's go. Fact number one. Alright, so, you'll notice a pattern in my facts. I'm not going to tell you what the pattern is, but Ooh, after the second that? or third one, you might be able to guess. But My first fact is to do with bees. We did have an episode on bees that one time, but there was a colony of bees found in 2008 on Everest, 18,000 feet high, which is was about two-thirds of the way up Everest. But although that's amazing on its own, what they did is they, you know, they sampled some of these bees and they took them back to the lab and they tested how far could these bees actually survive up in the atmosphere. So they recreated a flight chamber that had the same conditions as 29,500 feet, which is 500 feet higher than Everest. And they put these sample bees in there and to their disbelief, some of the bees actually managed to fly within this environment. So, theoretically, bees could survive further up than Everest if there was land there. But there you go. Well, we'll make land then, Sorrel, because yeah. I have heard that, that apparently Everest has been growing. Ah. So, yeah, there we yeah, go. So maybe, yeah. maybe, actually, if in a few years' time, they'll actually, they actually won't even be able to reach the top of Everest. No, yeah. We'll give, we'll give you your chance, bees. Yeah, because you're having it quickly. Yeah, it's coming. Your time, your time is coming. I like that. Very good. So my first fact, Sorrel, is also looking at an amazing height that something can live at. And that is, I'm looking at the highest living animal known to humans in the world. Mm-hmm. And you might think it might be something like, like a yak we've already spoken about. You might think it would be something fluffy like that. But no, it is actually the Himalayan jumping spider that has been found living at the highest altitude of any animal in the world. And that, that is that they can be found up to about 22,000 feet up Mount Everest. And you might wonder, how do these spiders feed? I mean, certainly insects don't tend to be found at that high altitude but actually quite sadly really they survive by feeding on insects that have been blown up to that altitude from <laughs> winds traveling up the mountain and these poor insects just like you know just flying along just like having a lovely day and then suddenly it's just like whoosh yeah. and they're carried up the mountain and they're feasted on by these himalayan spiders that's, that's such so, a shame when that day comes. They've just got it slightly wrong and they've been thrusted upwards, eh? And life is over. But I'm, I'm also quite gutted because I have a bit of a, a fear of spiders and I always thought well, I can at least escape on Everest. Yeah, yeah. But no, I'll have to move underwater. No. Oh, don't tell me there's spiders underwater. That's going to come up at so, in some week of height with nature, I'm sure now. Well, so my second fact 
Oh, don't. Not about spiders. <laughs> <laughs> Underwater. Underwater spiders. <laughs> you never save, though. You never save. No, but actually, my second pack does have something to do with your to your first one, and that's to do with something theoretically being blown up. This is, I think, at the moment, it is the highest form of life found in the Earth's atmosphere. And it was a single-cell algae found in 2013 uh, called a diatom. And it was found in the region of 14 to 17 miles above sea level. And it was found by a balloon that they sent to investigate if life could live it there. It's found in the stratosphere. And because it was so high, because it was found so high up, the people who were involved in the investigation at first thought it was from outer space. So they were they were ecstatic, but they were, oh, it's come from outer space. But actually, they think, after researching it more, that it was just blown up there as well, because, you know, a single-cell algae, quite alive. light. Still alive. Still alive, yeah. Living at 14 to 17 miles. I, don't, I thought they would have got the measurement more accurate. Three-mile <coughs> gap is still quite a large gap. <laughs> If I go up to 14 miles and I don't find anything, after travelling over three miles up to find my single-cell diatom, I'm not going to be very happy, am I? But there you go. Highest living, recorded living creature in the Earth. Uh, until we find more life out there. Until we find more life out there. When we find stuff on the moon, that's going to be really high. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Transformers are on the moon, aren't they? Apparently. Oh, yeah. So that's, yeah. is that life? Oh, Transformers and Gr- life? And, and Wallace and Gromit as well. Wallace they? and Gromit went there, Jeez, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, there's a few actually, aren't there? Uh, they were wrong. They're completely wrong, really. Mm. Watch a movie, scientists, you fools. Mm. Yeah. Right, so my next fact isn't necessarily about an animal that's always found dwelling on mountainsides. It is, but it's more about an animal that can just reach very high altitudes, and that is our feathered friends, Sorrel. Mm. The birds. Oh. Oh, what, what else were you thinking of? Pillows. Pillows. Well... <laughs> How high do you think... You can throw a pillow. You can throw a pillow. (laughs) Get your pillow right now. Let's see how I can throw it. (laughs) How high do you think the highest flying bird can reach, Sorrel? Let me guess. I reckon... I'm thinking about Everest again, of course, but I think a bird came up and went, Oh, what's that? Oh, Everest. So Everest was, what, 29,000 feet? Boops over. So 29,005 feet. (laughs) So you are literally imagining a bird coming along, reaching the top of Everest and going, I should fly just like five feet above that. Yeah, I, I'm expecting it to be like in those James Bond uh, films when it goes, where it's like, oh, and then as a pull-up, oh, it scoops over the top because he's left it too late. I get that, I get that. Yeah. No, the highest flying bird... 29,006. I knew I should have gone one higher. ...is the Rupel's Vulture, and I'm sure that pronunciation is right. It's got a little, like, two dots above the U. I've no, I've no idea how to pronounce that. So for anyone that knows, send us a message. But Rupel's Vulture can reach 11,300 metres or 37,000 feet. Wow. You were ready with that conversion, weren't you? I know, I, well, I had to have the conversion ready, sorry, but 37,000 feet. Wow. So that is that's high. reaching the top of Everest and going, oh, that's pretty high. I should probably go another 8,000 feet up. Just to be safe. Just to be safe. <laughs> Just in case but there's they another one. Yeah. actually found anywhere near Everest. They're actually found in the Sahel region oh, yeah. of Africa. Yeah. Oh, wow. They are pretty cool animals, but unfortunately the population is decreasing due to loss of habitat and also unfortunately due to poisoning, mm. which is quite sad from humans. Yeah, well, it's a it's a big tactic that the poachers use, isn't it, where they instead of poisoning elephants individually to get their tusks, they will poison the water holes. And what happens when they poison the water holes is all the life in that area 
then dies of poison. And of course, vultures feed on the, the dead animals, scavengers, carrion, and it's poison meat now, so then the vultures die as well. Yeah. So it's a constant extinction cycle, which is really quite grim. But Well, thank you for that depressing fact, Cyril, because I, I hadn't actually quite finished my facts yet. Sorry, yeah, uh, I thought I'd just bring you down a bit, you know? Yeah, but you might wonder, Cyril, how they possibly could have measured one of these vultures at over 11,000 meters, 37,000 feet. And the reason that they were able to tell that it was flying that high is because a Rupel vulture was confirmed to have been ingested by a jet engine that at the time was flying in November 1973 at 11,300 meters, wow. 37,000 feet. Wow. And that was how they were able to get the estimate for the highest flying bird ever because it was sucked up by a jet engine. I'll bring it out of the uh, sadness zone, we'll call it, with my third and final fact. Have you ever thought what animal had conceived at the highest altitude was? You know, I, I want that most days, actually, sorry. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Because, you know, it, the Mile High Club exists, well, informally, I guess. There's not there's not like there's not there's, a list there's no, like, there's no, like, sign-up sheet. No, there's no website where you put in your email addresses there or anything. No. no. But, yeah, you know, high altitude. I think it would probably be humans or, I guess, vultures, now that they're at the same height that planes are at. But the animal that conceived at the highest ever altitude was actually a cockroach. Because in September 2007, the European Space Agency sent up some animals to space. And one of these animals was a group of cockroaches. And when they were returned to Earth, what they found was there was more than that were sent up there. So what they figured out was one of the ones that they had actually named Nadezda, one of the female cockroaches, had actually conceived while she was in space. So cockroaches became the first Earth creature to produce young that were conceived in space. So your question has been answered, my friend. Thank you. Oh, I can sleep finally. Yeah. I've not slept for years thinking about that one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a, it's a good finisher, Cyril. It's a good, nice, fun finisher as well. Yeah, bring and, it back and up. And I also have a nice, fun finisher for you. Because I know what you're thinking. There are two quite similar sort of mammals that are found at high altitudes in South America. You might have seen them at a zoo or even maybe even a farm. I am, of course, talking about llamas and alpacas. Yeah, I was going to say that. Very similar mammals. And one of the things that is well known about the two of them is their spitting. So this is two animals that live at very high altitude, both known for spitting. And they can both spit with quite high accuracy, is the first thing. But alpacas, before spitting, will actually regurgitate some of their stomach contents and then spit that at oh. the thing that they feel threatened by. And llamas, similarly, will spit at things that they feel alarmed by but it begs the question <laughs> begs the question that was, was that, was that, that wasn't a natural pun that was a natural pun what was it? llamas will, llamas will spit at something they've been alarmed by <laughs> unintentional <laughs> I did not even realise I'd done it <laughs> no but it begs the question of course which can spit further mm. which do you reckon who's your money on Sorrel a llama or an alpaca alpaca Alpaca. Yeah. If this is wrong. If this is wrong. wrong. Alpacas are said to be able to spit up to about 10 feet away from themselves. Which is what we figured out this episode. Three metres. Three and a bit. Three and a bit metres. Alright, sorry. A llama can spit up to about 15 feet. Which which is 
about five and a bit meters. Wow. <laughs> and that is crazily far. I mean, fifteen that is far. feet. Sorrel. Let's just let's just reiterate that it can spit fifteen feet, and not just like spit fifty feet, but like hit a target from like fifty. It's got like accurate spit. Wow. Yeah. Which I think is that's far. Just yeah. Really cool. Two yeah. animals of been found to live on high mountains both that can spit 10 to 15 feet i mean that is pretty cool. so obviously that's in that's in a horizontal direction oh. right but because they live at high altitudes if they just spat oh. off the cliffside they could have the record couldn't they they could yeah would yeah. that count because i guess it travels that far but yeah i mean if they just sort of went to the top of whatever the highest peak in the andes is mm. and just sort of spat off it yeah and as long as they get enough distance for it to sort of fall, yeah, they could get they could get far. They could get far. Yeah, it's a good point, Sorrel. Yeah, it's a good point. So for all you alpacas and llamas out there, mm. get on it. Yeah, if you want to set the record, change the circumstance. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, grow up. Spit on it. Spit on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, Sorrel. That is my third and final fact. It's amazing. All about spitting. What was the link? between your three facts that they increase with altitude each time <laughs> oh i see i see do you know what my, my three facts were actually linked as well by altitude <laughs> they were all to do with animals that live at altitude wow yeah. amazing that's 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 like, i don't know how i don't know how, how do you've it. done that that's yeah how would you do it an expert <laughs> professional and if you want to hear more facts about animals that live at altitude We'll then listen to the rest of the episode that gives yeah. all the fact off, I guess, as well. <laughs> and if you want to hear more facts about themes of stuff that happens in nature, join us next week for another episode. Of a pint with nature. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening again. Get on Instagram to vote for who you, your winner is. But in the meantime, I have very much been enjoying my, enjoying my Wainwright Altitude Sorrel. I have as well. They've been going down a treat. Nice, nice refreshing pale ale. Best chilled, cold, don't you know? Best yeah. cold, chilled to perfection. <laughs> but until next week, Sorrel, when we shall discuss another nature-based theme, thank you very much for joining me yet again on a lovely Monday evening. And for all our listeners, thank you for listening, and good night! Good night! Good night.